M1 is the finance super app that puts you in control of your wealth. Invest, borrow, save, and spend your money how you want with sophisticated automation tools to help you reach your financial goals more easily. 2021 is about rebuilding, building health, building wealth, and everything in between. I've been using M1 for years to manage my long-term investment portfolio. M1 lets me follow some of the top-performing hedge funds like Code 2 and balance my pie based on what the pros are doing. It's truly my favorite investing app in the world. Go to m1finance.com slash Katoon to get started today and earn $30 to invest after you fund your account. Terms and conditions apply. M1, yours to build. Welcome to Technory Podcast. I'm Scott Katoon. On today's show, we catch up with Morning Brew co-founder Austin Reef on scaling newsletters and why they are so popular again. And speaking of newsletters, if you haven't subscribed to my newsletter at katoon.substack.com or katoon.com, you're missing out. I interview a startup founder every single week to hear their pitch, and then I write a pitch review via the form of a newsletter that tells you essentially what I like and what I don't like about the company and the opportunity with, of course, the added bonus that you can invest along with me via equity crowdfunding. So back to today's conversation with Austin Reef. So Austin is the co-founder of Morning Brew, which is a newsletter that I've subscribed to for quite some time, and I'm pretty sure that most of you have as well. I actually found Austin on Twitter as the person, not the co-founder, just the guy, Austin underscore Reef. He's a fantastic follow if you dig newsletters and the economy, but also he's a part of this new movement called Building in Plain Sight. If you listen to the podcast I did recently with Emmett Peppers or Mac the VC or a little while back, Dom Holland, the CEO of Fast, there's a growing trend of using Twitter to market organically. Whether you're a founder, an investor, a person who's just a creator building a podcast or a YouTube channel, one of the best ways to engage with people right now is Twitter. And it's not what you think. It's not running ads and bots and all kinds of clickbait and shit. It's literally just showing you what I'm doing, what's working and what's not working and learning from one another. And personally, I find it really fascinating because I have always been a person who really doesn't build in plain sight. I'm not the most transparent when you're working with me. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it in that like, I, I like to be with myself, think through what I'm trying to build and sort of tinker and toy with it, and then come back and post it, and then I get some feedback, and then I take it offline, and I go back online. And it really isn't the most efficient way to build. In fact, this fear that has driven most of us to not build that way is that you think someone's going to steal your idea and all this other stuff. And Austin made a fantastic point in this conversation, which was that he only follows those people that are the small, small portion that produce excellent content. Not good, not even great, it's excellent. And if you think about it and you apply it to business or anything else, millions and millions of people could have the same idea. Only a handful will execute and actually be great at it. And so if your fear about posting and being vulnerable is that other people are going to copy or steal you, they can't. They they can't if they're better than you, but that means you're not down for competition, in which case the business was going to struggle anyway, or the idea was going to struggle. I personally have dealt with this my entire life. I come up with things, I see it get knocked off, and I'm like, ah, well, fuck it, I'm not going to do it. And the reality is, I should have done it. If I thought I could do it better than them, I should have done it, I should have kept going, but I didn't. And now, in retrospect, if you're doing it in plain sight, competition becomes plain sight as well. 
Like, sure, take my ideas, do the best you can with it. We've been working for five years to get people to invest via equity crowdfunding and, and just micro investing in startups as a whole. And now there's things like Austin's rolling fund. There's a million other vehicles that have come as a result of that kind of effort. And I welcome all of it. I think it's fantastic, which is why in the conversation, it's not about morning brew. It's about Austin and sort of more uh, microcosm of all of us, us creators and those listening to this show. It's about adapting to the times, which ironically includes newsletters, which are now on the rise again, <clears throat> something Austin knows quite a bit about. So when I invited Austin on the show, it was pretty much self-interest. Like, I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I know that I did. But at the root of it, I really want to understand from a business and a creator perspective, how do you build the best possible newsletter? And maybe it's a podcast, whatever your content medium is, but how do you build something great? And how do you get people to pay for it? And what I learned and what you'll learn when you listen to this is it's not what you expected. Yes, there's a bit of this that goes down to like being great, which I mentioned before, but really it's like picking a niche and understanding what you personally possess information-wise that other people need to get and then you discovering what's the best, most entertaining, but also most effective way of getting that information to other people. And then finding out exactly how much they value it and figuring out how to monetize it based on that. It might be a paywall. It might be a subscription. It might actually just be sponsorship or even more. It might be nothing. It might be, you know, if Austin decides he wants to build his own personal newsletter on Substack, the Austin Reef newsletter that goes along with the Austin Reef Rolling Fund, he may find that having a paywall or having any sort of monetization in that newsletter is useless because his entire purpose behind it is to get the most eyeballs of investors who he wants to add to his rolling fund as possible. In which case, anything that distracts from the main idea, the rolling fund in this case, would be a waste of time, a waste of money, ineffective. And I guess that gets down to the point that if you do this, if you want to be a creator, you want to have a newsletter, you want to have a podcast, a media channel, whatever. And, and I guess you could even say a business. Like it doesn't really matter that it's media. It could be almost anything. You have to identify who you are, what you have that's valuable, who wants it, and how much it's worth to them. And from there, you can reverse engineer how you're going to pay for it or whether it should be a charge or, or anything at all. So I learned a ton from this and I hope you guys all do too. This is my conversation with Austin Reef. Things are good. You know, we're still, you know, just running the company as, as always, you know, things uh, I like to say, and then people don't believe me, but it's true that things really haven't changed post acquisition, same title, same position, uh, you know, focused on building an amazing business. Uh, and, you know, we're excited to have a partner in both Insider and Axel Springer who owns uh, Insider to help grow the business and just help be there for us, both as a financial backer um, and also as a partner that you know has done this before. We're doing a lot of new things. We're on this quest and this path to become more than just a newsletter, right? Our newsletter's best in the world, I think, but we have so much more to offer. We've just dipped our toe in the water. And so we're really excited in 2021 to take that step forward and begin to do more. And we're excited for a partner who does more, who's really active on social and has a great site and has a subscription and has done other things. And so it's, it's really exciting for us. This is going to sound a little bit weird because it's 2021. You guys have been at this for a while. I have had newsletters through Technori going back to 2012. I've, you know, there's been times where newsletters were good and times that they've been annoying there's always been your newsletter, I think, that was very vocal and like 
if you're an investor or you want to be an investor or you're just learning about investing, like this is the spot for you. The timing of you and Business Insider and now like the way Substack and, and all the others have started to like push newsletter back to the top uh, of the inbox, I guess, pun intended. The timing could not be better. And I'm just curious, like, did you guys see this coming? Did you see this like opportunity coming? Did you like, is it just the, the most amazing timing of all time? Or like, what's the... I think it's a good time for newsletters for a few reasons. I, well, I think it's always been a good time for newsletters, but I think people are focused more if on you're that, good, right? if the newsletter is yeah. good. Exactly. The content, that, that's what I was going to say, right? The content for anything you do has to be good. If the content is good for anything, you'll be okay. But the content's exceptional, not good. There's a lot of good content out there. There has to be exceptional content. I think a key for us is, you know, we started this, Alex, my co-founder and I started this in 2015. It's a little bit of a side project, started ramping it up. And there was this period of time, people talk about the beginning of companies, people talk about the end. They don't really talk about like the, the first year or so. And I think what was so interesting is we had all these big execs, these, these big people reach out to us and they essentially told us what you're doing is really dumb. You should go out and raise a bunch of capital. You should, you should focus on video, like big name execs who you would, you would know, uh, really urge us to go into video. And we, and we had the data, we had the numbers and we're like, this, this thing is making a lot of money. It is growing. And it was one of those things where you almost had to second guess yourself because everyone's telling you you're an idiot, but you have the insider information and you're like, this thing is working and it's working and every day. And that was, two, that was really 2018 for us. 2018, when we went from 100,000 to 850,000 subscribers, the number of people who told us we were dumb, high, but, but you know, we had the numbers. And so that, that, that period is such an interesting period. And you know, who knows if I'll ever experience it again, but one of the coolest periods of my life where you know you're onto something that the world doesn't yet know, but you and seven or eight people understand what's happening. Like you see it. And it's a very, very cool experience. And I mean, that is newsletters, right? If you have good content, you have the right business model, ads or subscription, depending on what your content is, who you're charging. It's that type of the slow growth, the steady growth is really valuable because you're not churning people away uh, like you're an Instagram account and you don't know what's happening every day. They, you know how many people you're sending an email to. So it's, it's a great, it's a great media product, but um, it's just, it's just been a really interesting experience to, to see email for the last five years. You're so right about the, uh, well, a lot of this part, but that little like middle period of time where, you know, some people call it the risk period, right? This is where the seed investors and angels start to get involved. If you're raising money at all, or if you're a founder and you've left opportunities and you're trying to do this, it's considered high risk. The part of it that I always laugh at, and I've talked about this on several podcasts is risk is actually just a matter of conviction and conviction is a matter of information that you're knowledgeable on, or you've done the research. So like to other people looking at you, who've done very little research. They're like, this is crazy. What are you doing? Like go to pivot to video as they all said. And then when you think about it, you're like, well, actually it's not risky at all. Cause I've done the research and I know what you don't know, which is that this is a hugely powerful medium and that people are going to video where, where you're going to judge them on whether or not they maybe watch three seconds. Like that's your judgment. On yep. an email, I know who this person is. They've chosen to continue to get my email. They open it and I know how far into it they read, how many clicks. I know how to make it better every single time. It's not yeah. risk. Yeah, no, no, it's not. And it was the same thing for us about raising capital as well. So many people were like, you should raise capital, raise capital. But 
I had access. I was the only person that had access to the morning for bank account. I knew we didn't yeah. need capital, you know? And so, so many people were like, oh, go, go seed stage funds. And, and we were like, what would we do with the money? Right. I actually think, and I'm writing a blog post on this now, I'm, I'm going to publish it soon, but I think, and this seems very, very, you know, cocky, but it's actually the most backhanded compliment I can ever give myself, which is, I think we were the only team on the planet, the only group of people that could have started morning brew. And here's why. We were just smart enough, right? Just smart enough to figure out that we should just stick to what we're doing and keep going. But we didn't have nearly enough experience or we weren't too smart where we were am too ambitious, where too early on we started doing a bunch of other stuff, right? And yep. so if we were former media people from other media companies, we would have said, this is ridiculous. We're just sending a newsletter for three years straight. That's it, a single product. We would have said that's, you know, other companies start with, newsletters and events and podcasts and all this stuff, which we now have, but we didn't do that for three years. So we weren't smart or ambitious enough to be able to, to think about, let alone do any of that stuff, but we were just smart enough. And it doesn't take that much intelligence, but just smart enough to be able to get that flywheel going. And so I think we were kind of in that band where anyone else would have failed because they either weren't smart enough or were too smart, but we were that perfect team of scrappy people uh, and we still embody that, right? But especially in the early days, I very much think it was it was our inexperience was so important for us. You had a great thread on Twitter about this the other day, and it was more specifically about the niche, like pick a niche and be excellent at it. Like there's, the, I'm not going to follow the 35th best person, but I will follow like the top five or top one. You named Pomp, who I, I like to troll on my show with the bang bang. Pomp is amazing for crypto because he speaks the language that I speak. He doesn't talk like a fucking banker. Yep. Like, that's why. And, and, and I, I think if you look through the people you follow, like I don't know how people you follow on Twitter. I probably probably follow like 800, right? Or so I'd say like 600 of them. Let's say maybe like a hundred of them are friends. Another hundred of them are, are, are in media or business analysis, two things I really care about, but I've only took, I'm in media and I only took the top 50 people. The other 700 people are best one, two or three in the world that I know of in that area. And that area could be something I don't really care at all about. Like, so I'll give an example. There's this guy, I actually just heard of him about a week ago. He was on Palm's podcast. Um, Nick Huber, I think is his name. Sweaty startup. And yes, of course, now like he went absolutely viral yesterday or two days ago with this crazy thread. But I heard him on Palm's podcast. Like this guy is the most interesting person in the world when it comes to uh, self-storage real estate. I'm interested. Like I'm not, I don't want to do it as a profession, but it's yeah. interesting enough. So let me follow the best person in the world. And so I think the best way to go Big is to go niche because if you go big, yeah, your your total addressable market's huge, but you're going to capture almost none of that. Versus if you go niche, you're going to capture so much of your market, but then there are going to be so many people who say, "When I want my Bitcoin fix, I listen to Pump's podcast, or you know, his podcast isn't so much about Bitcoin anymore, but maybe I read his newsletter." And so I think the niche thing's really valuable. I think too many people underestimate that. Well, yeah, and I think you you know you hit this on the head when you talked about how specific you guys started. We were smart enough to know what to do and dumb enough to not actually chase after everything under the sun. And I think it's a key piece because when I look at like what we do and we've stuck to this for going on eight, almost 10 years now, it's just startups and it's just startups raising money. And now it's really just like startups raising money via equity crowdfunding. It's just one thing. If you're not into it, like totally get it. I think that if we had started off talking about tech news and, and anything like that, who am I to break tech news? Who am I to tell the world who you and Morning Brew is? That's not what you're here for. You're like, oh, I like startups. And if I like startups, I like to invest. And if I like to invest, Morning Brew would be a fantastic newsletter. I think 
this whole thing with newsletters going forward and how big it's gotten, I, I feel like we've hit a tipping point with social media. Twitter is unique because it's the only platform that you can actually outsmart your way into someone's DM. Like all the other stuff, it's just tons of shit coming at me. I could hit you or Mooch or somebody else with like a smart comment. Like, oh, this might be a guy I should talk to. It might be worth my time. It's not a waste of my time. All the other platforms are filled with just clutter. And email is now that one place where if you're on like Haymail or Superhuman or some of these other apps, you can clean up and get rid of the junk. This is a one-to-one relationship. I literally can open morning brew every single morning. Like I used to look at snacks. Like I look at my Bloomberg live at the end of the day. Like it's this one little world that I can get into and develop a relationship with someone. And it improves year after year after year. It doesn't have an expiration date. And that's why I I think this is just like through the roof. And so many people talk about subscription fatigue. And to me, that that's not a, it's not a thing, right? What happened was Substack launched. There was a lot of, you know, morning brew started becoming successful. The skin built this up and there were a lot of newsletters, right? And people signed up to a bunch of newsletters. Then you woke up one day and you said, eh, I tried out 15 or 20 newsletters and I realized I only read two of them. Let me unsubscribe to the other 18. I wasn't fatigued by newsletters. I was fatigued by content I didn't care about, but it's no yeah. different than me following someone on Twitter and then say, you know what? I don't really care about their content. Unfollow. No one's like, oh, we have follower fatigue on Twitter. Like, I, you know, it, it's just not yeah. a thing. And so the top of funnel got very big. It's going to continue to get very big. I'm signed up to 100 newsletters. I read four of them, five of them, you know, not that many. I read the very best ones. But just like with everything else in media, the best content's going to rise to the top and the best business models are going to rise to the top, right? And so if you create a newsletter, that's a seven out of 10, and you charge 200 bucks a year for it, and I can't expense that newsletter, guess what? No one's going to read it. Like it just, no one's going to pay for it, right? But if you are, and I'm blanking on his name, but he, Lenny, right? Who was the former PM at Airbnb, who writes a growth marketing newsletter. My guess is 60 to 80% of the people expense his newsletter. The other 20 to 40% are probably making 100K or more so they can spend 200 bucks on the newsletter. The guy just posted, I think, I, I don't think he actually posted the number, but reverse engineering the math, he's doing half a million dollars a year. That's a great newsletter to have a paid newsletter, right? But yeah, the, the, the 35th journalist who is just covering, you know, Trump, like people just like, they're not going to pay for it, right? And so I think business models here are really key, right? If, you know, the way I like to think about it is if you're B2B or if your audience is really wealthy, or if you're really niche, really, really niche, interesting to test out paid. Otherwise, I think most people, especially when you be a full-time creator, are much, much better off to be free because you have this problem where the stuff that you would put behind the paywall is the highest quality content. The stuff that's most likely to be shared, the stuff that's most likely to get people to like you and follow you on other social platforms. Well, if you put that behind a paywall, that's really hurting your potential. So if you don't have a big Twitter following or, or you know, your, your other content doesn't go viral, you're, I mean, how are people going to find out about you? Start paying it. It's really, really tough. I'm glad you brought that up. It's uh, not that people need yet another newsletter, but uh, the reboot, Brian Morrissey used to be a Digiday writes. He just did this thing on breaking down the funnel. And it's a question that we've dealt with forever. We're, you know, I, I owned my own platform. This, the vast majority of technology's life. We moved over to Substack a little while ago. We're at, I don't know, 46, 48,000 subscribers. Now it's not a paid newsletter we've dealt with sort of this like, I don't know, sponsorship. And the sponsorship thing is kind of a dicey situation because 
you don't want to have shit in your content that sucks and pushing people to sell and buy stuff is not the greatest thing. You guys have done a fantastic job, I think, of balancing that. And I think for like, for those going forward, many who have no experience in newsletters, I think are probably inexperienced when it comes to, to like actually monetizing them. There, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I battle between like, should we turn on a paywall? Should we make the money in other ways because of the notoriety of the newsletter? Or is sponsorship, if you can do it in a seamless way, is that not harmful? Is it, is it the best path? I think sponsorship is generally the best path. I think the vast majority of media should be sponsorship driven. There's two ways to approach it. Way one, you kind of hide behind your ads, try to, you know, like try to be sneaky about them. And the readers still know you have an ad, right? Like it's no one's, you're not kidding anyone, right? The other thing is to embrace it, right? And, and I think people who are embracing their advertising, like, yes, I'm sponsorship driven. Your content is free. The reason why I create this content is I make money. It's my job. Right? I'm not going to do this for free, but you yeah. get content for free because of name your advertiser. So go support them. Go do it. And the same thing happened to us with our referral program, right? We used to be kind of shy about the referral program, right? We're like, mm, do you want to put the top of the newsletter? Does it seem scammy or you know, whatever? And then we woke up one day and we were like, you know what? We give away free content every single day. We're not forcing people to share. We're not saying share, you won't get the newsletter. We're just saying, hey, share. And by the way, one person's going to win a MacBook, right? And we've actually like built into our brand, right? Giving stuff away. And I think advertising is the same way. Lots of people like, like Packy, for example, who writes a Substack newsletter called Not Boring, does an excellent job of embracing the advertising partner. And he makes it funny and engaging. And I think it's a great idea. I think too often do people try to kind of hide the ads and you get half-ass ad performance and you don't, it doesn't work out. So I, I think it's, you have to, if you're going to do ads, you have to embrace the ads. Completely agree. That's why there's an ad that just ran right before you came on this show. Um, thank you, M1 Financial. See, we're helping oh, people already. M1 people helping people. Podcast too. I love M1 Financial. So <laughs> Brian Barnes is a friend and he's come on this show several times. It's a perfect, perfect partnership. Um, so I want to move on off of newsletter and sort of the career path so far. You are now getting involved in rolling funds. This is kind of a theme among uh, a lot of entrepreneurs turned investors. I'm just curious. I have my own thoughts on it. I have been involved in rolling funds and traditional funds and you know credit investing, retail investing, all of it. What's your thoughts on it? Why, why are you attracted to it? Why should people pay attention to it? How do people get involved in it? Yeah, I think the democratization of investing in general is, is awesome. It's a good thing for everyone, right? Rolling funds are going to provide more venture opportunities for LPs who wouldn't be able to get into big funds, right? Access to, to venture investing, any accredited investor. And it is unfortunate. It's only accredited investors, but you know, we can't change the laws. But anyone who follows me on Twitter can sign up and they can give me, I think my minimum is $6,000 a quarter, which I'm definitely not saying is, is small. There are rule, there's a reason why it is 6,000 because of certain, yeah. certain rules again, but it is doing more democratization. Also on the company side, more companies are going to get back because of, of, of rolling funds. Are there going to be some rolling funds that turn out to be like, not scams, but people trying to be bad investors? Sure. Just like there were some bad ICOs, doesn't mean the whole cryptocurrency industry is bad because you know there were some scams there or anything, right? When any new product comes up, yeah. there's a huge rush, there's a massive euphoria, and then things fizzle out and then the 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 quality emerges. Uh, why do I do it? Because I love being able to talk to the smartest people in the world 
who many of them are founders or investors. And it gives me an excuse to talk to them. I love backing businesses to have a fund. It's my fund. It's like, it's, it's me. It's not like, it's not called something. I purposely call it the Austin, you know, it's Austin's fund, but to be able to have capital allows me to come to the table for an entrepreneur and not just be a strategic investor, right? As a, as an investor, I can do two things, right? The first thing is I can help you as an active operator. I can help you think about hiring decisions or strategic decisions or whatever it may be as you run your business. That's the first thing. And the second thing is I believe I am very good at understanding distribution and how to get your product in front of people. And in a world in which there's so much noise, there are so many products, Instagram is flooded. Figuring out unique ways to engage with your customer is really important. And I think I, more than most people, actually understand the value of that. I don't think people truly understand the value of building an engaged audience. We did it at Morning Brew, and I've seen a bunch of companies do it. So that's what I provide founders, and I love doing that. So having the fun allows me to come to a founder and say, I provide these two things, but also I'm not going to just write a small personal check, but I can come to the table with a meaningful check and be a part of your round. And so that makes it worthwhile for me and for the founder to have that conversation and build that relationship. I love that. And I also love that you address the fact that there are going to be scammers and there are scammers and everything. You know, like for me, I've advised at Republic on equity crowdfunding since they kind of the inception 2015, 2016 have been investing on their, you know, 20 plus investments on it. There's going to be companies that come out that are shit. And there were so many investors that we talked to who were like, this is snake oil and this is whatever. And you didn't say this, so I'll say it so you don't get in trouble, but I think it's reality. Many of the investors who don't uh, like rolling funds, who don't like microinvesting, who don't like any of this stuff, it's because what you provide as an investor is what they're promising, but never really deliver. It's a ton of guys saying, I'm going to crack you into my network. I'm going to plug you into all these sales. And at the end of it, I don't ever hear shit. I've raised a lot of money. <laughs> I don't ever hear anything for help. And all of the investors I have that are micro or rolling funds or people who are sort of you know entrepreneurs that come in as you know, seed or series A backers, they always are the first ones to pick up the phone. They're the first yep. ones to, to help me. Yeah. I think the future of early stage investing, and I am, I will caveat by saying I am by no means an expert. There are people who know much more than I do. I think we're going to see a bifurcation where the top funds are always in the top funds, right? A16Z yeah. is not going anywhere, right? So yeah. capital is not going anywhere. But I do think if I'm a founder and I'm going to raise $2 million in a seed round, do I need the last quarter of a million coming from a seventh early stage fund who can't truly, honestly, can't provide anything more than the first six funds can? Or am I going to raise from five rolling funds where I can have the founder of a media company as an investor, the founder of a tech company's investor, a genius product mind, a genius designer, someone take me out of it, right? I would much rather have Sahil and Todd and Rahul and, you know, some of these other people on my cap table, not to lead the round necessarily, but, you know, as the last, whatever it may be, as a founder, if I could go back, I mean, we did, we just raised a small round, but what's from family and friends? Some of them were really helpful. And this is not at all saying that VCs aren't, invest, uh, aren't helpful, but I do think the future of investing in the early stages is going to be more and more founders backing founders. I agree with you. And I think there's even a, a part of this that is and this, honestly, this has nothing to do with VCs, like to be totally upfront, like as an, as an entrepreneur, the world has evolved, not just COVID, like before that, the incubator model, 
They're like, hey, you heard about entrepreneurship maybe when you were in college. Like that shit is over. Everyone knows. Everyone knows a startup founder. Everybody knows the deal. You don't need institutional support at this stage. You need to be scrappy. You need to access the capital when you need it. You need a, a person to lean on and ask like, hey, this is fucked up. Like, do you, is this right? Am I right? Like, what do you think? You, and those are fellow founders. So at this stage, I think we've just evolved. And I think the VCs are going to have to evolve. The, the angels and these smaller seed round and seed funds around like Chicago and others, everyone's in Miami now. That's a whole nother thing. But I think that they're just going to have to evolve. If they want to continue to participate at this early stage, they're either going to have to change their thesis or they're going to have to change the way that they're the size, of the checks that they're writing. That's just how I feel. Yeah. And I think at the later stage, it's different. I don't think any rolling oh, funds totally. be, yeah. you know, and I'm sure someone will end up because I'm, you know, someone will raise a 25 or $50 million a year rolling fund. But I think Austin really, Reef's series D rolling fund. Welcome. I mean, there, there, there are a few out there that are getting pretty big, right? It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I do think that pre-seed and seed, it, it, I mean, I, not, I think I see it, right? I see the cap tables. Yeah. And it's like, you know, raise $4 million and it's from one venture capital firm, which by the way, is that, that VC fund who's been leading a bunch of the rounds I'm in is backed by a bunch of founders. And then it's a bunch of founders who are writing checks and, and, you know, founders are gonna start writing more checks and larger checks as we start seeing you know, some of these SaaS multiples that, you know, or early employees, right? I mean, we just saw a three X run up in a lot of public companies this year that, yep capitals and go straight back into startups in the ecosystem. And that's an amazing thing. That is incredible. So I think, you know, there are going to be some issues with these rolling funds, just like there are issues with angel investing in general. But I do think that from a, a net perspective, it's a massive positive for society and the startup ecosystem as a whole. Totally agree. This is very fascinating. I love catching up with you on this because obviously we're in different, but similar worlds where you're in the rolling fund. I'm in the micro, like we're both content people. Uh, maybe one day I'll be able to find my way into the 853. That's a club that I got to earn. Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time and joining the show. For sure. It's been great. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com. 